As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer all right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Yenner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here. Excited to be here. Post cuts. So we've got nothing but regular season in front of us, Jay. You know what I'm excited about? You know what cuts mean? Lot more parking spaces in the yeah. player lot. We get to park close and not have to pay for parking starting today. It's all about right. us. It is. It is about <laughs> us. I, I. I am not. I don't want to be callous um, when it comes to these things. But it, there, the our job ends up being the same. It's a locker room full of people. I. I feel for guys that uh, have gotten cut and moving to practice squads or other teams or or maybe out of the business altogether but um yeah on from a from a like daily grind perspective not having to worry about having to park and being able to to park a little closer because there's uh a little more room in the parking lot is is nice for us which is very selfish and actually is callous now that i say it out loud and much easier to take attendance and practice as well that's correct. Smaller, smaller uh, piece of paper. The type is bigger. <laughs> all these things, uh, really, really the game changers here. Uh, we've got a lot to get to, of course. With the cuts have gone down, the next wave is coming. So we're in full like cartwheel uh, roster gymnastics season. We're like, if this is Simone Biles, this is like really has done the first three flips and is about to hit the big one at the end where you go way in the air and flip like four times and then then land with your arms up like we're in that part there's still a little bit to go but some the the wheels are wheels are have all been put in motion already i we're we're approaching the carry strug dismount where it's been a long painful process and it's about over yes I don't know if you remember um, that reference. But. Yes. Um, the carry 1996, of course. Yes, I mean, yeah. maybe the most famous gymnastics uh, landing in in history, right? I mean. Yeah. I got chills. 
We don't need to go down a Carrie Strug wormhole here. I appreciate the reference. Uh, but, uh, we'll, we'll just we'll focus here on what we've got. We've got lots of cuts fallout. Uh, we're going to talk about all the moves that are going on, what we expect next, which includes O.J. Howard. Uh, talk about really a lot to look at there as to what that will be, um, can be, should be. You should not expect it to be. There's a lot of things involved in that. We're going to talk about the punter battle. You're going to hear from Darren Simmons, who Jay talked to yesterday, um, about the decision between Huber and Chrisman, the big preseason battle. Uh, we'll talk a little all- O-line depth will go behind the curtain, of course, with our nuggets from over the last week or so. And then listener Q&A, we've got a couple that have already dropped into Twitter. If you have questions and you're watching here, thanks to those of us that have already come in and started filling up the comments section here on YouTube, who uh, were, were always excited to be here with those of you live. Uh, if you have a question, something you'd maybe like us to, to address, just drop it here in the comments at the end of the show. We'll go through and see how many we can find. Obviously, all Arby's questions are welcome and will be answered by Jay. <laughs> uh, and I see a, a, some have already showed up, so I, yes. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So let's start. I want to start with a little bit of promotion, Jay, because what are we here to do other than to promote ourselves shamelessly? Uh, but I am, a, you know, as you know, people that listen are, know how excited I am about this event and have been. Uh, we're doing our live show at 50 West again. Uh, it is Thursday, September 8th. That is the night of Bill's Rams kicking off the regular season. Bengals will open against the Steelers that Sunday. Uh, but that night, 7 o'clock at 50 West, out in the beer garden, uh, we're going to do a live podcast. It's going to be a cavalcade of stars. Uh, pretty much, I, I know the open invite has been out to just about everybody in the Bengals beat, and everybody has been very excited about coming down. Uh, we had a bunch of us on last year, all answering a few questions, predictions, players to watch, all that. Our, all our thoughts uh, on the season, and then afterwards, we're going to hang out and uh, let the beer flow a little bit, and uh, who knows, maybe the beer will flow while we're still on air. You know, you never never quite can tell. Uh, it's very possible. Um, but we're gonna watch, and we'll watch the game in the beer garden there, and uh, and and kick it. And so, if you want to come down and enjoy the show, and uh, maybe hang out a little bit afterwards, we're going to do that. Really looking forward to it. It was a ton of fun last year. Yeah, it was. I, I The one thing that really stuck out to me last year was it was like the first chilly night of the year. It was almost like fall arrived right, right when football did. I was struck by how, how chilly it got when we were watching that Cowboys-Buccaneers um, game. And um, it was great to see the crowd last year, and that was coming off of a not-so-good season. I, I imagine there will be an uptick in the number of people present this time coming off a Super Bowl run. Yeah, uh, you never know. You never there was there was excitement last year despite I believe I believe I had the most optimistic prediction at 8 and 9 <laughs> of all of us. So, uh, you know, you're curious to see how all that lands this year. Uh, so that also later this week Friday, we are going to have a AFC North preview. We're going to do a full round table Jay and I uh, along with our Pittsburgh writer Mark Caboli, Baltimore uh Jeff Zrebeck and uh, up in Cleveland Zach Jackson. Uh full breakdown of the entire division and uh how it looks. And Jay, I think one question we're going to ask to everybody is going to be like 
explain your quarterback situation and just watch everybody <laughs> go around because it outside of this place, that's a real interesting question uh, around this division right now. Uh, so all of that is coming up. Keep an eye out for that. And of course, we'll be back on our regular game week schedule uh, next week with our regular show, which is going to be our season preview show, then the 50 West live show and the walkout after the opener against Steelers. So all that's coming your way. Uh, let's talk cuts. Um, I'm just going to kind of run down a little bit of what happened yesterday, and we'll just kind of do some brief comments on some of these before we get to the big topics. Uh, the wide receiver room roster gymnastics thing is happening. So Mike Thomas was maybe the biggest name that people saw that was let go yesterday, but Mike Thomas is, was not really let go. You, in order to pull guys through the 53 that you want to put on IR returned stash, um, you need to clear space. Uh, and that includes somebody that you know you're not going to lose, so you can't have someone who could go on waivers. So you have to have a vested veteran who is not subject to the waiver system. Hence, Mike Thomas, a veteran who you knew you were going to bring back, who you can just have an agreement, say, hey, uh, we're going to let you go today and bring you back exactly the same way uh, tomorrow. Just hang tight with me. Uh, don't go do anything crazy. Don't go getting squirrely and leaving, uh, but just come on back. And so that's what's happening with Mike Thomas, uh, who will go in and come back once they get the IR return going today, which is going to be... Cam Taylor Britt and Khalid Kareem are both going to go on IR. Um, now, return this year is four games, so they'll be first eligible where they can't practice uh, or play for the f- next four weeks, um, and then they can come off and, and and we'll see where they where they land there. Um, the other part of this is Jesse Bates still doesn't count against the 53-man roster because he's on the commissioner exempt list thing. Um, And so they had him as not counting, so that's one less person they had to essentially let go in order to try to bring back, which was helpful for them to to not have to worry about that with somebody else. And uh, I believe Zach Taylor called that uh, luck with Jesse Bates' situation (laughs) yesterday. I get the feeling that him waiting the extra couple of days to sign it there at the very end maybe wasn't quite luck, uh, as it, it did give them a little bit of an advantage there on cutdown day. Yeah, and I mean, it, it allowed one extra person to make the 53, but for what, one day? I mean, I, I think Zach said he was expecting today that that move would be made to bring Jesse off of the exempt list. So um, I don't know if somebody had a clause in their in their contract where they get a little bonus for making the 53 or what, but um, just kind of delayed the inevitable. The interesting thing about Mike Thomas, I, I was looking at the, the moves the Bengals have made after cut down day the last few years. They did this kind of in reverse with him last year, um, carried him on the 53. And then the day after cuts, they claimed two guys, Wyatt Ray, Nick McLeod, and they waived Mike Thomas and Trent Irwin. Same kind of deal where, hey, we need to clear space for these guys that we just won on waivers. We'll bring you back. They ended up bringing them both back. So I don't I don't see that happening this year. The Bengals are last year. They were fifth on the waiver wire. This year, they're 31st. It's hard to imagine that a a player, a team cut that wouldn't have any interest from any of the other 30 teams the Bengals would have interest in. You never know. It, everybody has different position needs, but it, it feels like the the more likely 
uh, route would be what we're seeing with what we're about to get to with with OJ Howard, where they're gonna they're gonna find a vested veteran that was cut, skip the waiver process, and bring a guy in. The other side of that also throw Alex Leatherwood into that mix because yes. he's someone that no one would want to pick up his contract, which is why no one wanted to trade for him. So no one's gonna put in a waiver claim on that. So that's another type of name that probably would pass through and then potentially be available. But the guys who were like you know young guys on rookie deals who just missed rosters where somebody else was deep, you're gonna have a hard time seeing those guys slide to 31. So you got to kind of look for more unique circumstances, which is where. A guy like Howard does come in there. Uh, other things, you know, we talked a little bit about the backup quarterback battle that ended up being closer than anybody thought it was going to be. I mean, I think we all kind of came in through camp saying, yeah, Brandon Allen's clearly the guy. Jake Browning really improved, and and he really impressed the coaches with his improvement, and it became a conversation at the end. What are we going to do here? He, he's, he looks like he's good. Is that enough? And inevitably, they would have needed Brandon Allen to lose the job uh, for – browning to really overtake him and he didn't i mean allen played fine he played like he normally does the fact that browning improved as it, as it went on i think it's intriguing and it still means they'd love to have him on his practice squad if he doesn't end up getting claimed by somebody else as a backup uh but for now that's really as far as it went there's just such a comfort with brandon allen and joe burrow and you know i i do think browning is really intriguing and he might have even been a been the better player in preseason but you know the the chemistry within the room uh really made that an uphill climb for him at the end of the day yeah and i mean one more year in the system um and Brandon Allen's in his fi- final year of his contract. I mean, you could see Jake being the the backup next year, or if something were to happen injury wise, he could get elevated. But yeah, he he made that really interesting, and it started almost from the get go. That first game when Brandon Allen left to get checked for a concussion, and Jake Browning was making plays all over the place. He was running for his life. It wasn't the ideal situation where you wanted to see him just sit in the pocket. But I think that's what really kind of sparked the whole preseason run for him was the plays he was able to make on the run and uh, he is he's a a great value we've talked about it he sits in with the the dbs on their tuesday off day meetings and gives them an offensive perspective he's a go-to guy uh for the the wide receivers when they come off the field after each series he's a, a a very very sharp mind who knows this system inside and out um otherwise we have you know the receivers we mentioned no prior no lassiter um, that was never really going to be a thing. I think people really wanted it to be a thing. There's a long list of productive preseason receivers that are not impressive uh, <laughs> over the years. Now, I think Pryor and Lasseter and Trent Irwin, assuming they all end up on the practice squad, man, you love that on your practice squad. Like yeah. That is a great tier to have. But there was never really a shot that they were going to actually take snaps from anybody that they, that they had slated. Um you know, and a lot, it's just, it's at the back of that room, you got to have special teams value. Stanley Morgan has immense special teams value. Trent Taylor is the punt returner. Nobody beat him out. Um, and so they, they need that spot for him. And, you know, so will you be talking about overtaking who Mike Thomas, right? And Mike mm-hmm. Thomas has more, you know, explosion in game production, caught a pass in the Super Bowl. He's done things for you that you really, really like. Um, We'll see if either of them get claimed. My gut says they won't. My yeah. gut says that they'll both end up here. This happens every year, right? Like, it's like fans get obsessed with some preseason camp star and then wait and look and say, wait, nobody claimed them? Yeah, it, 
it's just there's a lot of receivers in this league. There's a lot of young receivers in this league. And so I think I think both those guys will be great for the practice squad, assuming they both make it. Maybe they don't. Uh, and we'll, we'll see as that as that happens today. Yeah, the other thing to remember there is this is it's a great opportunity for them to develop and eventually work their way onto the 53. But this the, those are three solid receivers that are going to really test the the defense when when you talk about that practice squad those are the guys that are going to be going against the first team defense in practice it's they're going to give them real tests and it's going to help this defense which we all expect to be great but you don't want them out there just going against guys that are just practice squad guys without real futures the it feels like these guys have futures they've made plays they've each had chances to run with the ones in OTAs, in training camp, and made plays. So it, it it works for the benefit of the team and it works for the benefit of these young receivers to, to get a shot to stick around and possibly at some point join the 53. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Elsewhere, probably not a surprise to anybody that's been listening to this podcast or reading The Athletic for a long time now, but Tyler Shelvin was let go. Uh, <laughs> last year's fourth round pick, this has been writing on the wall since yep. OTAs uh, when he showed up with the the injury and just was sort of not in anybody's good graces. Like boomer bust pick that they took a shot on and it busted and they're they're moving on. So uh, Shelvin is, is not a part of it. They've got four defensive tackles and six defensive ends right now. Um, but they've got hybrid guys that pop inside and out. You know, we're talking about Hubbard, Sample. Um, obviously, you know, Carter can go inside and out, and he's already the three-tech inside. So um, a bunch of guys there. Plus, we'll see Kareem go on IR. Jeffrey Gunter makes the team seventh-round pick. So um, there's there's plenty to like still in that defensive line room. And I, I think Shelvin always seemed like he was on the outside and, and never got close to the inside. Yeah. I mean, maybe the way you're talking, you're, you're answering this question before I ask it, but do you think, is this a, a complete handwashing or if he goes unclaimed, do you think there's any shot they bring him back on the practice squad? There's always a shot. You bring somebody like that back who has potential to maybe mature and figure it out and use this as a wake-up mm. call. I mean, we've seen that happen and fail before with Paul Dawson. one of my favorite stories <laughs> of all time. P.J. Dawson, the third-round pick, was like, you know what? After year two, they're like, let's just – he clearly is not mature enough. He doesn't show up on time for anything. He doesn't seem to care about football at all. Doesn't pay attention to meetings. Maybe you cut him and then bring him back in the practice squad. It'll be the wake-up call he needs. In the first practice after they signed him back on the practice squad, he showed up like eight minutes late. The only one comes running in. It's like, 
Okay. Well, maybe, maybe that didn't work, and then he was out of the league. Uh, Paul Gunther, not happy. No. no well, <laughs> no. Um, so anyway, so we'll see what happens with that. Jay, you got some stats on cut down day that, uh, from the last five years here. Um, so Jay's always got stats, of course. Um, what's your cut down day stats? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned it earlier last year where they they signed Wyatt Ray and Nick McLeod off of waivers and and cut Mike Thomas and Trent Irwin. Eventually brought them back, but you, you go back through and you look at the the moves they've made after cut down day, and there have been a number of them. Um, only one one was a roster gymnastics thing. It was when they uh, cut Michael Johnson in 2018 and said, "Hey, we're going to bring you back." The next day, they put Devonte Harris on IR and brought brought Michael Johnson back. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you, you're talking about picking Shaq Calhoun up on waivers and, and cutting mm-hmm. Alex Redman, um, re-signing Tory McTire to the 53 when they put Trey Waynes on IR. Uh, the year before that, 2019, the waiver claims were Pharaoh Cooper, Ooh. who didn't stick around, Samaj P. Ryan, who has – is still here is still playing a role on this team. Although he left uh, at one point and he came did. back. <laughs> he did. He went to Miami and for a game or two and then came back. Um, uh, also that year they signed John Jerry off the street. Uh, oh. And then in 2018, Christian Ringo was a waiver claim. Ringo. <laughs> Ringo. So yes, it's not, it's not like there's a bunch of gems to mine out there, especially in the, those years they were picking higher in the waiver order. Now at 31, it's just, it, it doesn't seem like they're they're going to find anybody that route. It's going to be, as Paul said, someone like a Leatherwood whose contract nobody wants to touch and they wait till he passes through waivers or a vested veteran like O.J. Howard or some of these other guys who don't have to go through waivers and are free to sign with anybody at any time. Which brings us directly into topic one, and that is O.J. Howard, uh, who is going to be uh, in the building here today. Um expectations are that he's going to sign Ian Rappaport had that uh, first, you know, this has been, gosh, we have talked about the lack of having anybody that even resembles Hayden Hurst um, on the roster, you know, and this, that hole that they have there forever, really since they went through the free agency and the draft and didn't find anybody. And it just it felt empty. And then you had Sample and Wilcox, both nursing injuries. Wilcox is just worse than Sample's. I think the expectation is Sample should be fine. But again, um, you know, you got these guys that are banged up. You've got to find a way uh, to get through. Uh, so Howard comes out. And look, there's a real history here. The Bengals really liked O.J. Howard in 2017. They He was in the conversation for number nine overall when they took John Ross. I don't know what would have been a worse pick. Uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, Howard, I think you can, you probably confidently look back and say Howard would have been a better pick uh, than John Ross. But, at the, you know, neither uh, would make you be feeling very good about yourself right now. Uh, but so... There was interest. There was they. They do this all. The, the Bengals do this all the time. They like to lean back on their draft evals, um, and and how they liked that guy, and 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 they they were interested in him in free agency this year. There is no expectation that OJ Howard is going to come in here and be great, or no. be anything other than a back of the room guy who they're just going to try to get in and see what you can get. I mean, look. The Bills contract that he signed had three million guaranteed, and the Bills just ate it without him playing a game. That is a notable red flag. Jay, I need to have a red flag. 
that I have at my disposal that I can wave whenever it's red flag time. Uh, I mean, you can't have a more red flag than that. Um, you know, we talk about, I'll just bring you a piece of what was written about him from Joe Biscaglia, our Buffalo writers. He, he says in his recap, the other big name from the 53 man reveal is the removal of tight end OJ Howard. We've detailed Howard's struggle to discern himself and some concerning size signs with his preseason usage over the past two weeks. Despite the financial commitment, it became increasingly cl- clear Howard was in roster jeopardy. While it's a surprise to some, many actionable signs pointed toward either his outright release or the Bills trading him. The first step was the eye test, where Howard struggled as a receiver and separator. That, along with some significant strides from Quentin Morris and Tommy Sweeney as pass catchers and blockers, pushed the competition closer. Look, if the Bengals pulled off the street Quentin Morris or Tommy Sweeney right now, would anybody care? They probably should care more than pulling AJ OJ Howard, but the name recognition and the first round pedigree makes the expectations of people thinking, you know, they're getting a for a real first round Noah Fant, right? A first round tight end, TJ Hawkinson. That's that's not uh what the case is here. Yeah, I mean, well, Hayden Hurst too, a first round tight end that's never really quite lived up to that billing and and both of OJ Howard and Hurst, a lot of it's been usage um, issues. And you're right. It, Howard had some some issues with with separating. It was interesting. I went back and looked at his uh, pro football focus stats, um, his blocking grades, and he actually started pretty strong. He was a good blocker in pass and run uh, against the run, but um, that slid over the years. So this is what this is what it is. It's an insurance policy. If something were to happen to Hayden Hurst, you don't have a guy. Drew Sample is not a, a a dynamic playmaker as a tight end. He's a very good blocker, and same with Mitch Wilcox. So this just is a an insurance policy. It's not that as though OJ Howard, if they do sign him, is going to come in take snaps away from Hayden Hurst. Um, but you you still wonder uh, red zone third downs maybe he does get on the field at those times and it's going to be hard enough for Hayden Hurst to put numbers up with all those wide receivers he's he's got to be wondering every every stop along the way they they end up adding another big name tight end this is not Kyle Pitts or Mark Andrews um, <laughs> <laughs> by any stretch but it is another former first round pick who's coming in to share the room with them possibly if they do sign him. Um, but yeah, OJ Howard is, he's just never really, he looked the part. He looked like the prototypical tight end, um, that was coming into the league at that time and really being a big factor and just never, never panned out. Uh, I mean, the other part of this is look, I mean, he has an Achilles injury in October, 2020, and those can take a lot of time to truly come back from and regain form. Some mm-hmm. never do. And maybe O.J. Howard never does, and it ends up being, you know, sort of the circle that everyone has on his career of when it really went south. And we'll see, you know, the fact that – and I think the Buffalo was kind of thinking that that could be the case in the way they signed him and the contract that they gave him. I, I'm sure they didn't anticipate it being like this. Um, that said, maybe maybe he gets here and – does start to feel better and feel healthier and show a little bit more explosion and the system matches him. Maybe Burrow helps him. I mean, Brady and Allen couldn't quite make it happen with him. So I don't know, uh, you know, that Burrow's suddenly going to have the magic. Maybe he does. Uh, he's only 27 years old. 
you can always hope for some upside. And the bottom line is, most importantly, he's better than anything else they had as their third tight end. Like, as far as an offensive player, uh, you're going to be getting much more out of O.J. Howard than you were out of, who are we talking about, right? Mitch Wilcox, Thad Moss. Thad Moss. Uh, Nick Eubanks, the dudes that were hanging out that were just offering you zilch. So they had to do something, and this is as good as you can do. I mean, look, we we saw them bring in guys midseason last year that were just tossed away from other programs or even, you know, whether we're talking about Eli Apple, first-round bust that had gone to multiple teams, uh, Trey Flowers, who was just discarded from Seattle midseason, who came here and found a way to to fit and make it work and 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 have an impact. There's been guys, plenty of guys, like there was a bunch of stories like that last year where that happened. So maybe Howard can be this year's story. I would even kind of throw uh, with the one-year anniversary yesterday, B.J. Hill trade. I mean, B.J. Hill was a really nice player, a rotational piece that the Bengals traded for, um, but he came in and played well above that. So maybe O.J. Howard uh, can be the latest skin that the Bengals um, uh, scouting department can hang on the wall. Uh, we'll we'll see. But for now, don't go expecting anything crazy. Um, this is this is not someone who's all of a sudden they're going to create new packages for him and and carve into Hayden Hurst snaps. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to be the deal here. Jay, you got stats on the of course on the 2017 tight end class. Of course you did. It, 14, 14 tight ends drafted in 2017. OJ Howard being the first among them at 19th overall. Uh, Mason Shrek of the Bengals, uh, the last at 251st overall. So of of those 14, I, I looked at all the, their stats for targets, catches, yards, touchdowns, games, and starts, and where they rank in that class. And O.J. Howard, as the first tight end picked in that, 180 targets, that ranks sixth among those that from that class. 119 catches, that ranks sixth. 1,737 yards is fifth. 15 touchdowns is tied for fourth. 59 games is seventh. And 46 starts is fourth. Interesting name on this list, and it just shows you what a crapshoot the draft can be. George Kittle, in the fifth round, he has more targets, more catches, and more yards than every Bengals tight end that has stepped on the field from 2017 to 2021. 463 catches, targets, 335 catches, 4,489 yards, 20 touchdowns. The Bengals tight ends do have 26 touchdowns in that span, but just a remarkable career for George Kittle, who was the 10th tight end taken in that draft class. Yeah, breaking news, George Kittle, good. Uh, yes. Good blocker <laughs> uh, as well. He's not just a catch pass catcher. Great blocker. I mean, that was, yeah. you know, that was the thing coming out was he was this incredible blocker out of Iowa. But you know what how much would he be able to grow as a pass catcher? Well, uh, a lot apparently. Uh in San Francisco ends up looking great uh for it and enjoying every minute of the George Kittle experience. Um Okay, so that's kind of where we're at with O.J. Howard. Again, timing on that. We'll see as the day goes by. Uh, Got to pass the physical, all that stuff. Uh, let's talk. We always like to talk here. Punters. Let's <laughs> talk punters. People, you know, Jay, people are mad. Like, people get 
up in arms over weird stuff sometimes. And there was a lot of people who had some passionate takes on the punter battle. But uh, Kevin Huber stays. Drew Crispin doesn't. And I would say a mild surprise. I mean, we kind of thought that the writing was on the wall, that it was going to end up being Crispin. And uh, they end up kind of going the opposite direction and bringing Kevin Huber back for his 14th season, Clark Harris back for his 14th season, uh, Cal Adamitis and Crispin both uh, go. And, of course, Evan McPherson, the kicker, still. Um I would, but yeah, mild surprise on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it did. If you look at the numbers and it, Crispin clearly outperformed Kevin Huber. And then Darren Simmons has been clear from the start that this was not just about punting and not just about distance. It's a, it's about the job of a holder and trusting Drew Crispin. And he didn't, he didn't have any issues holding in any practices we saw or any of the preseason games. But it's also about hang time and touch, dropping the ball near the 10, inside the 20, directional kicking. And Darren said that he just that Drew just still has a little bit of work to go. And he, he said this went back and forth several times where at points Huber was in the lead, at points Christmas was in the lead. And what he really saw from Huber was – this ascent that he started a little rough and he just got better every single practice, each preseason game and got back to the Kevin Huber that they know and trust. And whereas Chrisman was a little more, not, I almost say all over the place, but, but up and down. And it, it does, it comes down a lot to, to the trust factor. And, you know, maybe if this was, Several years ago, and you only have an eight-man practice squad, and there's no chance that you're going to keep a punter. Maybe they go a different direction, but 16-person practice squad, they know there's a very good chance they're going to get Drew Crispin back, continue to develop him. Maybe he's punting at some point this year. Maybe he's the punter of next year. But for right now, going into the season, they're just more comfortable with Kevin Huber. There were a few words that stood out both in what Darren had to say and what Zach Taylor had to say about us, yes, to us yesterday about this, and that was, we know what we're getting, mm-hmm. consistency. You know, you just, I, I think they just don't want something to come, and they know what Kevin Huber is, and it'll be fine. And but you know, coming in and potentially creating a problem for yourself, there just wasn't enough to put Drew Chrisman over the top to definitely rule out that they couldn't be maybe creating a problem for themselves at times. And that's the last thing that they wanted to do, especially when they felt like they'd seen enough from Kevin and know that he'll continue to be kind of who he has been. And and I think that ends up being why you hear those words. Let's do this. Let's bring in uh, a, a little bit of Darren Simmons here talking about this decision. How did Kevin take it? Was there a, a hint of surprise or had you kind of tipped him off where he stood? No, I, I really hadn't tipped him off uh, at all. I, I tried to, you know, it's, frankly, keep an open mind about this. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I think we're tasked with, with putting the best team together and, uh, you know, what fits the best, what makes the most sense. And, you know, that, that, that decision is uh, obviously weighed pretty heavily. It's went back and forth probably several times. Um, but I've tried to look at the whole body of work, you know, not only, um, you know, from the first day of camp, but, up and through the last game, um, you know, I, I think that um, um, it's been a steady climb, I think, for Kevin in terms of his uh, effectiveness in, in camp thus far. 
Um, I think he got off to a bit of a, a slow start, and I think he's picked it up a little bit in the last couple of weeks. He's he's hit the ball pretty good the last couple of weeks in practice, and um, and obviously the hope is he'll continue to work to become you know more and more consistent um, you know throughout the season. So um, yeah, no, it, it, it was a good call. It's the first time I've had to make that call with him, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, uh, and and let him know. So he's been. I don't think he's had. I don't think he's had to deal with. Uh, um, the anxiety that comes with those phone calls for well, really at any point in his career. So um, I'm sure that was a. It's, it's been a uh, um, you know probably you know maybe some anxiety filled couple days here for him. How would you characterize his reaction? Was it relief or excitement or? Um, I, I don't know. If there's a ton of excitement. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of relief. Um, I, I just it was just this normal phone calls. You know, I told him that. We're going to go with him. He's okay, cool. That's good. You know, <laughs> it, uh, Kevin doesn't get too high or too low really about anything. He, he, I think that's one of the unique qualities, qualities that he has. Is he's able to let, you know, both bad and good plays go and, and, and try to focus on the next thing. And so I don't know that there was, uh, a, really a, uh, strong characterization one way or the way, one way or the other with him. But I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, he's been, he's been in this league long enough to know and understand. Um, you know, had had we went through other other way, I, he would have. I think his reaction would have been the same. Yeah. Uh, he would have understood, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's a sign of a, a very veteran pro guy who's who's been around the block a bit, and he's seen um, you know how this you know this whole league works. So um, I think he was probably prepared for it to go either way. Yeah, you know, it's it's one thing. Again, for, I don't think this is a knock on. I don't think this, any way, shape, or form, is a knock on Drew either. Yeah, you know, it. Uh, he, he came in, he competed hard. Um, I, I think he has a, um, you know, I think he has a, a good, bright future in front of him. And uh, it's like I told him that um, I, I think he just need, still needs a little bit of time to develop. You know, it. Uh, uh, last year, I think was kind of a wash for him a little bit. Um, you know, because he really didn't get a chance to compete in camp. I, we were with him a little bit in, in throughout OTAs last year. Um, yet, uh, you know, if you remember, he broke his hand coming yeah. into training camp. So really, we really got no time with him in training camp. And he, he was with us. I think he was on our practice squad for I think it was four weeks, uh, maybe five weeks, something like that. But it wasn't uh, you know a long period of time. And so I, I just think he's, he's still a work in progress. Um, do I think he'll get there? I do at some point. Um, you know, we just made the call to go the way we, the way we decided to go. We uh, now, and uh, you know, but but I do think that he's got a, a, a good future in front of him. Uh, that's Darren Simmons with Jay yesterday talking about um, what happened with Kevin Huber, and you know, uh, Kevin Kevin comes back uh, when he punts on September 11th. Uh, he will set the Bengals franchise record for games played at 208. Yeah, and the amazing – I went to look and see where he ranks in NFL history for for most games played with a single team. And uh, even if he plays every game this year to get to 224, he's still more than 100 behind Jason Hansen of the Lions, their former kicker who played 327 games. Um, but I did look and see – uh, what what the record is for most punts by a guy with the same team, and uh, if if 
soon as Kevin Huber makes his 20th punt this year to get to 1,000 punts, he will be the fifth player in NFL history to have at least 1,000 punts with the same team. So heck of a career um, he has. It's You look, I mean, he has gotten stronger with age. Now, maybe last year was a little bit of a dip, but the, 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 the few years before that, he's putting up some of the better numbers of his career. And it is, you see guys at, at positions that don't get hit all the time, quarterback, kicker, punter, that that ha- know how to take care of their bodies that can still perform at a high level. And there's, there's the hope that it, not just the trust and consistency with Kevin Huber, but that he can still be a very good punter. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so we'll see what happens with Drew Christman. If he ends up getting picked up by another team to take over their punting duties, or if he ends up back on the Bengals practice squad and he bounced around last year, he's in Pittsburgh <laughs> for a minute. And so, I mean, you know, you never know, they could still have Christman be a part of their plans uh, at some point down the line this year or next year or however it plays out Pun- these punters man they're just they're they're hanging out all right you got a lot of you got a lot of dudes sitting at home uh watching red zone channel on week three and then uh being on the red zone channel on week four this stuff happens so uh yeah. you know there's you never know where, where that's gonna go all right let's just take a quick break let's touch a little bit on offensive line depth which is a hot topic of course around here since the beginning of time uh and so here's i'll just say this i mean i feel like yeah people look at these names and they see what they saw in the preseason and are rightfully concerned for the health and safety of the franchise um you don't want to see a bunch of these guys having to play and protect Joe Burrow and it were to look like it looked last year, maybe worse, is the thought. And I'll, I only will say this. It's easy to view the Bengals through a tunnel of understanding their issues inside and out. Look around the league. Everybody is freaking out about their offensive line depth. There's just... It's not like there's a bunch of great second-team offensive linemen in this league. There's a bunch of people that are developmental players that are trying to, you know, trying to hang on, whatever they are. There's a bunch of them on rosters all across the league. There's just not deep offensive line groups. Everybody has this problem. And so, you know, I think when when you look at where the Bengals are at, they're probably with their depth pieces more on par with the rest of the league than than fans even realize. Yeah, and it, I mean it. It almost comes down to a, a a choice that you have to you know do you do you want for your depth pieces? Do you want younger guys that you can develop who are more athletic and faster? Or do you want the the older guys at the end of their career who have seen? Um, a lot more and, and can recognize more and more are more cerebral players. And um, I, I, you know, you, you look at all the young guys they have that are so unproven or even uh, off to slow starts in their career. And that that's another benefit of going out and getting guys like Collins and Kappa and Karras that, that these guys have been through the wars and that they can, they can help. I don't know if say the, have the light come on, but they can help, coach up these young guys too it's last year it just it was it was such a mismatch and you you didn't have a, a a true true leader trey hopkins was very good um at what he did but these guys have, have won super bowls two of the three of them and so it 
we talk about the no donkeys approach. You, it, it kind of goes for depth too. You're just, you're not, you're not gonna be able to have a, a top to bottom one to 10 great offensive line. And it's, there's going to be a lot of breath holding this year. Um, I, I think they're fine. If you, if those five starters play, all of them play 13, 14 games, but that may not be realistic. It's that's, that's one position where injuries seem to hit m- more often. And um, there is, there's going to be concern if, if they have to turn to to one of those guys who who hasn't really put I don't know not skins on the wall but just hasn't had any kind of great confidence instilling performance. Yeah. So you know if you're talking about seven on game day eight maybe uh, you know depending on how they how they view things uh, you know you got your starting five that you know and then who's who's off the bench I mean to me. Isaiah, you've got Adeniji. I don't know if Isaiah Prince's health will be like uh, early in the season, mm-hmm. but I think Prince is probably still your your swing tackle when healthy, um, depending on how that goes. And then I think you've got Trey Hill as your guard yeah. center backup, who uh, they really like. And then Adeniji would be next in line there um, because he he is he. He played better at tackle. I mean, when you looked at how once they started giving him real reps at tackle, and obviously he's played guard, you know, he gives you that swing role player, eighth offensive lineman that 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 you can have if you need it. Um, you have Deontay Smith as sort of fourth in line amongst the swing tackles, maybe even. Um, and Jackson Carmen's last, yeah. right? I mean, I would I would think I would be real I would be surprised if against Pittsburgh he's active. Uh, I would think they yeah. would probably have a Denigy or Hill maybe playing that guard spot before they would go at him. I mean, you never know. I'm I I feel like one of the some of the most surprising things we hear amongst back of the roster stuff all year happens uh on opening day and actives. It's like you get a little bit feel of what that how they really feel about that next level mm-hmm. down. Um and but I, I I would be surprised if they had him as first off the bench for sure. Yeah, well I mean the way he's played aside, he just doesn't give you any versatility. You're not going to be able to put him in at center. You, uh, yes, he played tackle at at Clemson, but they, he, we haven't seen him rep that he, since he's been in the NFL. They're not going to throw him in at tackle in a game. And those other guys you mentioned, Hill, Adenogy, Deontay Smith, um, not Prince so much, but those other three can play multiple positions. So I'm with you. I I, I don't unless there's injuries this year, um, it's going to be hard for Carmen to be active on game day. And you know there, there's the argument to be made now. I mean, like, do you take a chance? Do you do you inquire or try to acquire an Alex Leatherwood who's just someone else's trash, right? I mean, or do you just keep your own trash? Is it, it, it do you prefer holding your own rotten banana peel over someone else's that maybe maybe you can make it not smell as bad? Like, I, I don't I don't know what to to make of of this other than. I get feeling like, look, there's something here this staff and organization believed in. There's something they saw, or they would not have selected him, overdrafted him, however you want to look at it, in the second round. Um, A year ago, there obviously is some traits that they feel like they can get out of. Maybe, I don't, don't, you know. So it's different when it's your guy. Um, for that fact, 
you know, I you could see them wanting to hold on to him and having more belief that it eventually can can come around. The idea that it will, I mean, is certainly diminished a lot over the last month. Or do you bring in someone who maybe maybe just got into a bad spot and then a new regime, and maybe you can get something out of an Alex Leatherwood, you know, who I don't think they were particularly high on uh, in that draft, but. Is could he end up giving you more, which you're not getting maybe anything like we just discussed from Jackson Carmen this year? Maybe. Or are you better off making the Quentin Spain call and just having that guy for a vet man hanging out in the background? You know, to me, if you got your decision of whether you act, you got to be real with yourself, whether you really think you're going to get something out of, of a guy like Carmen or you need to start just bringing in vets or other people's trash to see if you can maybe make that work. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to spend a first or a second round pick on a guy like Leatherwood versus picking him off the, the scrap heap. You, it's such a, a a low risk, and you can pay him what you're you're paying Carmen. Probably he's not gonna he's not gonna command a lot of money. And you mentioned it; it was it it could just be a bad situation. That that was a train wreck of a season last year in in Las Vegas. And to their credit, they got it turned around and made the playoffs, but the whole Gruden firing and the Henry Ruggs tragedy. And there was just a lot going on out there and who knows what the, the inner workings were of that O-line, the O-line coach with Leatherwood, there could have been a disconnect there. I mean, it's not like he's, he's got a track record in this league of, of being a failure. He's, he's had one year. Um, I, I think he's worth a flyer if the, if the money's right and, just going to come down to how many teams are interested once he clears waivers to to start throwing uh, contract offers at him, if any. Right? I mean, we'll see. Who knows? Somebody will. So yeah. So I mean, she's going to end up on a team. I would played I at would Alabama. Assume. I mean, there's yeah. No, I, I would think he would end up on a, on a team for sure. If for someone willing to take a chance on on somebody who you know could have just been in a mess in Vegas and there's no mm-hmm. doubt people could see that as a mess. Um, okay. So it's a little bit on our, our uh, contractually obligated offensive line talk <laughs> uh, as we get closer to the season here. Um, and let's go a little bit back to our behind the curtain Bengals nuggets, uh, whatever your idea. Again, we, a few, you guys had a few ideas for what we can call this. Uh, I still don't feel like the winner has really showed itself. If you have it, you can email us, drop them in the comments here. Some sort of, you know, half keeping it light, also sometimes scoopy Bengals nuggets. We really got to, we got to, by next week, we're going to have this as a real, as a real thing, Jay. We're going to have our title next week. We're counting, we're just counting on the, the, the listeners. And I'm going to be honest, they just, y'all haven't come through yet. That's the number one thing on my list for Labor Day weekend is to come up with a couple ideas for this segment. Look, I think a couple title ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just you know, throw a few back and start just spitballing ideas. I'm with you. (laughs) Uh, So my behind the curtain news nuggets is actually funny. Uh, It it revolves around the fact that so Tyler Eifert tweeted about how the Bengals are like the greatest bet ever to win the Super Bowl, and I've enjoyed like Eifert randomly showing up doing a commercial for like some sort of. Uh, whether it's betting or drinking bourbon, I think I saw some. I mean, you know, all the things that Ife's about, and I appreciate it. And I always, I've always enjoyed Tyler. Um, so it, it kind of brought up a Tyler Eifert story that I don't know that I've told yet, and that was it was summer of 2021, and we were on our family vacation uh, in Michigan and hanging out on the beach enjoying a day with the kids, you know, standard summer vacation stuff. And you strike up a conversation with 
there was another uh, younger couple with a young kid that was kind of playing with our kids. And so we strike up a conversation or whatever and from Cincinnati. And they said, oh, yeah, I got a really good friend who lived in Cincinnati for a while. And and turns out it was one of Tyler Eifert's best friends <laughs> whose name is John Goodman, which I always, I always remember <laughs> because his name was John Goodman. Uh, they play, I think they played football together at Bishop Dwanger uh, up that way, Fort Wayne area. And po- – Pointed out to me that day, oh, yeah, he's retired. Like, he's not coming back. At that time, nobody really, he's like, you know, don't mention that or anything. I would leave him to, you know, handle his own thing any way he can. <laughs> uh, but it was just the funniest way. Like, you're just on the beach on vacation, and you just stumble into somebody telling you that, like, oh, yeah, Tyler Eifert's retiring. Uh, and and that was has been apparent since then, and it's no secret that he hasn't planned on coming back. But it always cracked me up that I was just on vacation, and like, his friend just happened to sit down next to me, uh, essentially, and, and and be like, oh yeah, he's done. He's, he's not going to play anymore. Uh, but oh, so that was that was a a, a fun story about Eifert. So it's good to see him resurface into uh, the Bengals Twitter world, I guess, a little bit. Um, he would be fun. I do want to get Tyler on the show at some point. I need to give him a call. The story starts. It was summertime in Northern Michigan, and all I can think about is Kid Rock song all summer long. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, Kid, Kid Rock, Rock and uh, Tyler Eifert, long hair, mullety. Molly, Molly, yeah, yeah, that's 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 where the ties are. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so other other one other retirement thing. So Gino Atkins still has not officially retired yet. Um, hasn't turned his papers, and I don't know. Maybe he's sitting around like thinking that maybe someday it'll happen. But there's one interesting aspect of that. It until he officially retires, it de- it delays your Hall of Fame clock. Your five year clock starts ticking. You might want to try to get in ahead of Aaron Donald uh, just because we see the voters don't like putting in the same positions uh, in the same year. They, they create this pecking order. And, you know, if Gino's going to have a chance and he has an interesting conversation that he'll be in uh, when his time comes, I don't know if he's going to have enough, but he'll have an interesting conversation. He'll probably be in the room at some point. Uh, might want to start that clock. Uh, now maybe, maybe he has some hope of some miraculous, uh, comeback for a defensive tackle needy team. There was like a half a second last year where I think people thought he would come back in the playoffs for the Bengals. Um, that was not happening, but, um, it is interesting that he hasn't turned in any of his paperwork yet. I just found that kind of fascinating. <laughs> I I had one from the mentioning Aaron Donald, uh, at the end of the Rams Bengals game, I was kind of. Uh, not in a hurry to get down to the locker room. I was watching the players go to midfield to see if there was going to be any kind of altercation between Lael Collins and some of the defensive linemen from the Rams. And uh, the, those guys, the Rams all went straight to the locker room. LC did go out to midfield to, to say hello to some other people. Um, but I noticed that Jesse Bates was out there. Jesse Bates did not play in the game, obviously, but he had a orange Jesse had an orange Bates jersey. And he was trading with Rams wide receiver Ben uh, Skronik. And I, I just I thought that was odd. I looked it up and it turns out Ben is from Fort Wayne as well. So I went I went up to Jesse in the locker room and asked him about it. And he said that they've trained together. They've, they've gone been going against each other since youth days that they went to rival high schools and. Um, he was, he was very, he never, they never played against each other in football, but he was very quick to point out that, uh, Ben Skoronek's team was the number one basketball team in the state and Jesse's team beat him 
Uh, and that's, that's something that, uh, he's, he's never forgotten and never will let Ben forget. But it was, it was interesting to see that, that, you know, Jesse Bates didn't play. And I asked him why the orange jersey. And he said it was only one of the only ones he had left from last year. So it was a game used jersey. I'm not sure which game it was from. We could probably figure it out when you go back and look and see which ones they wore orange, but, uh, kind of a, a neat little thing for those guys to be able to do sign, sign their jerseys and swap them. Yeah. It happens a lot, but, um, a unique, con- um, connection there because these these guys in the regular season only play once every four years yeah no doubt um all right so good stuff there as we uh do our i've seen some spill the tea showed up down here Mm. in the comments i don't know why what does tea have to do with anything other than t higgins i'm kind of i'm i'm missing with the potential tiger talk i'm not i mean just because it's alliterative i know you're speaking my language with the alliteration but uh i i feel like We've got, we need something next level. I would say, you know, we do have run past or boot. We are here that podcast ground. If you can find a way to tie in to the Bengals song, I think that's your best way of getting the winning, of having the winning title here. I think we need to try to get back into the song and, and, and connect it there somehow. That's, that's probably what our answer is, Jay. So if we're, if we're trying to spark some creativity with our listeners, that's, that's how I'm going to direct it. Um, I've got a, we've got a few questions here on YouTube to go through. I've got a few from Twitter to jump in. One, I'll start here with a Twitter question, and this was from DM Perry. Uh, what does Travion Williams provide that you don't already have in Evans Pirine that justifies a valuable roster spot? Um, I'll, I'll say this about the the Travion thing. You know, at that spot, the last spot, I think you kind of need to take position out of it almost um that's about special teams that is about Mm -hmm. guys that can give you something that can contribute for darren simmons you know you're you're comparing travion williams as the fourth running back against what kendrick Pryor or kwame lassiter as the seventh receiver that player is a special teams player okay that is what you're trying to find value in travion williams has 198 special team snaps over the last three seasons. He's he's done teams for you. He's done pretty well. He did a bunch of it this preseason. And I think they like the way he's developed there. It's You're not keeping Travion Williams because you're going to take away something from Evans or Pirine. Um, he's there as an insurance policy. Um, but you're, you're looking for special teams value, and you're also playing the game of who can we get on our practice squad and elevate if we need it. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there would have necessarily been a ton of people looking for either. Uh, but you know, I, 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 Travion Williams to me has more special teams value than those other guys. And I think they all have even maybe less chance of prior Lassiter at a deeper position of it's easier to get them to the practice squad. Yeah. And there's the ripple effect too, where last year at this time, Chris Evans was on special teams in the role that Travion Williams is going to be in. Then he wins the kick returner job. He's probably not going to be as involved on special teams because he's got such an important role as a kick returner. So Travion Williams can just slot into some of those spots on, on some of the other units where Chris Evans was playing. No doubt. It's it, you gotta, I know people get a, get understandably obsessed with the position that they play, but so much of this mm-hmm. last three, four, five spots is about what do you do for Darren Simmons? 
and and how do you complete the team that way? And I think that's a big part of why Travion is there. Um, next question here from Alex at Namrick 11 is Joseph Osai still restricted in his activities or can we expect him to be fully in the rotation against the Steelers? Um, I think it's full Joseph Osai unleash against Pittsburgh as, as far as uh, we have been told. I mean, he was fully unleashed in the joint practices. You saw him showing up a bunch um, and, I think that's certainly going to be, uh, I think, part of their package they're th- excited to reveal that hasn't really been seen yet uh, once they once they get out there against the Steelers. Yeah, I I don't know when you say fully unleashed how many snaps he'll get, but he's going to be part of a sub package, and he is gonna he is not going to be limited anyway in practice this week or next week leading up to the game, and certainly not in the game. The only limit is going to be how many snaps he actually plays, but um, he. He is going to – they're looking for him to look a lot like he looked in that first preseason game last year against Tampa where he just comes in third down pass rush specialist. Maybe you see him in some earlier downs, but I think primarily that's where he's going to be as a, as a third down rusher. Maybe they kick Sam inside. Um, We'll see how all, all that plays out. Um. Let's see here. Carson Boyles has a question here. Uh, back with my question from the last live room. Do y'all think Duke in the front office could try to throw some rolling guarantees to Joe Burrow and or Jamar just to handle the escrow part? Um, this is a deep contract discussion stuff um, with what's going to happen with Burrow and what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, there, there is precedent for that. Josh Allen's, uh, looks that way. I think they're going to point to Josh Allen's as a contract they'd like to replicate, um, when, when they start dealing with Burrow and, and, and look for ways to, there's, there's, there's methods to try to handle that. And if there's one thing I can count on, it's that, uh, Katie Blackbird and Mike Brown will definitely be finding every way possible to limit, the escrow and and play every trick that they can to make this contract work. They're experts in that world, and I yeah I would I would expect them to have ways to handle that on top of it being undoubtedly the biggest guarantee that they have ever given out. Um, even within you know it's going to be a different stratosphere. They are experts in that that frontier, but this is this is uncharted territory where you're talking yeah. guaranteed money. It's not something they do a light. So yes, they are going to look for for every possible way to, to make this work and uh, a hat tip to Carson for the tenacity because he tried to get in a couple times on that live room and uh, we had some issues. And so I appreciate you coming back and, and hitting us up here. Yeah. I wanted to make sure we got to him. Uh, yeah. You know, I know, I know we had, we had a few troubles there. So good, good to hear from you, Carson. Thanks for coming back. Um, let's see. From Tom Brooks, do you think the lack of the starters playing in the preseason and lack of live tackling in practice will lead to a slow start? Maybe, but, you know, also that would be the case for most teams. I mean, there are some, now the Steelers have been the opposite. The Steelers have played a lot of starters. They have been very physical. So it'll kind of be an interesting case study, I think, in the opener against Pittsburgh, who has been physical, aggressive, playing starters, all that stuff to try to be prepared for the season versus the Bengals who have sort of taken the get everybody healthy to the finish line and flip the switch. Um, so maybe that maybe we'll learn uh, uh, on the different ways that that can work in week one against Pittsburgh. Um, I, I I just tend to think that there's 
there's such a limited amount of real live physical activity in general in the league that these for this first month ends up being like that a bit for everyone um we've discussed before uh apprehension about the flip the switch mentality that i think that they have had um I think we'll see how that plays out. I, there's there's reason to be skeptical for sure about whether that could be an issue. Um, but I, I think that's also you'd rather have that issue and skepticism than a lot of injuries. I mean, heck, Pittsburgh was rolling the dice, man. I mean, TJ Watt and Deontay Johnson Deontay. both went down in the last preseason game that they were playing in. I mean, there was a chance. Would the Bengals be better off you know, having to worry about flipping the switch or being with their equivalent of TJ <laughs> Watt? I mean, it's just – it's a very – it's a fine line uh, that, that you got to run. And I always think back to last year's season opener, where you, you, that Vikings game, it didn't look like this was a rusty team. It, it, you, if someone didn't have any idea what happened in the preseason, they wouldn't watch that game and be like, oh, they didn't play their starters. And they did play them a little bit. But, you know, Joe Burrow, three snaps. It, it wasn't one of those things where it looked like that the starters didn't get much work. It looked like a season opener. There's always some some hiccups and, and, and a little bit of sloppy play. But I, I thought they hit the ground running pretty well last year with limited preseason action for the starters. So I – a little different this year that being a division game and being a, a physical Steelers team that did play their starters, but I, I don't have too much worry about rust and that slow start. It's just the way the league's going, and I, I think you're going to see a lot of teams follow suit um, as as we get further along in the future. Uh, next question I want to answer strictly because I want to say that congratulations to you, Knucklehead McSpazitron. I just love your name. Uh, I, he says, uh, I know we're hoping to get three of our guys at wide receiver back on the PS, and we're most likely going to re-sign Mike Thomas, but what do you think of Josh Gordon as another red zone weapon? Too controversial. I, I mean, Josh Gordon has attempted to make this NFL thing work the last few years in a number mm-hmm. of different places and just been chewed up and spit out over and over again. I don't I don't think it's a matter of controversy at this point that he just can't play. I mean, teams keep giving him chances and it keeps not happening. So I, I don't, you know, I, no, I do not see Josh Gordon uh, ending up in the room, but I do appreciate knucklehead Mix Bazitron. Yeah, that, that is a impressive name. Uh, uh, right in the same area, Tom burning question. Are we getting a new Bengal boys intro for the 22 season? We got to, we got to get in contact with the Bengal boys. Uh, yeah. We to get back in contact with them because uh, there was there was something was going on where they weren't doing any doing music anymore. Maybe they are. We need to shout out to them, get after them on Twitter, find them, and uh, let them know that we maybe we need a couple new couple newbies to to drop into the rotation uh, for this year. One, let's see, I won. Robbie Lewis, Jay, thoughts on the return of the prime rib cheesesteak? Uh, I'm all for it. I, I I can't say I've ever had it, but it sounds really good. And if it, if Arby's makes it, it will be good. Like I I I talk about how much I love Arby's, but it, I I have my go to. I always get not always, but I almost always just get the the classic roast beef sandwiches. I like my salt and pepper and Arby sauce on those. Um, it's it's unless I go two or three times in one week, which sometimes does happen. Um, it, it's rare that I I stray from my normal order, but that. That just sounds really good. Prime rib cheesesteak. I might have to give that a shot. Maybe on my way to the stadium today here in a little bit. Um, let's see if I got anything else. 
Uh, run, passer, boot, Joe Burrow starts from Nick Phelps. 16 plus, 13 to 15, 12 or fewer. I don't like doing this, Jay. Mm-mm. <laughs> I don't want to put I don't want to put negative and it's so random like I know that people get obsessed with all oh, the offensive lines going to get Joe Burrow hurt you could have a great offensive line and your quarterback get hurt like mm-hmm. this it's so random how stuff could happen it could be an ACL that is non-contact it could be just a random fall weird on something and it's a clavicle it could be things weird things happen it's football guys get hurt and the amount of weird injuries it could be another inner organ like we had appendix showed up i mean what do we <laughs> we've had pinkies and throat contusions, throat contusions. And, a, and appendix and knees i mean it, there's it, you just never know so I I will only say that I I you cannot predict how many games a quarterback's going to play based on the offensive line that supports them. You could maybe lean one way, but it's just so random that I I don't think that you can. It matters anything what we think about that. Yeah, and last year not a great offensive line, and he made every start until the they rested everybody in week seventeen. It can go either way. Yes, uh, no doubt. All right, uh, I want to. Th- I see a bunch more suggestions coming up next week. Will not be a working title next week. We'll have a title for our, our Nuggets, and I appreciate all of those of you on YouTube that have showed up, dropped in questions, tried to answer, tried to uh, uh, mention a number of different things here, and so uh, we'll we'll keep those in mind. Maybe next week we'll we'll have the official working title. Reminder: Fifty West. Thursday, September 8th. Come on down. We love to see you there. As, and uh, it'll be a fun season prediction look ahead event. And uh, then we have the AFC North preview is coming up on Friday. We've got everybody from all around uh, Jeff Zrebeck in Baltimore, Mark Caboli in Pittsburgh, uh, Zach Jackson in Cleveland, all of us getting together to chat through the North. And then next Tuesday will kind of be our season preview as we really take a a peek at the full season, offer our predictions and everything else um, that we're looking at. I've been working on my prediction pretty hard the last couple of days, Jay, and I've got I got thoughts. I only say I got thoughts and a few interesting things have popped up as I've gone through it. That's my teaser. Uh, This is the record or these are other predictions? All of it. Stats. Okay. Stats. Record. Uh, divisions, playoffs, you name it. I've been just kind of parsing through it all, trying to get a feel on exactly where I stand on it as we get close to offer my official number. And uh, I've been surprised at a couple of things. That's all, that's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. I guess I've got some more work to do this weekend. Yep, you sure do. It's, you got, you got to do, do more. <laughs> Always be doing more. Uh, all right, looking forward to that. We will, uh, we will talk to you all next time. Uh, have a good one.